Hey guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks podcast, where we're dedicated to building better men through conversation, connection, and community. My name is Roger Nairn. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. We talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook or go to mantalks.com. I'd like to introduce you to The Minimalists, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. The Minimalists are dedicated to living a little bit more simply in your lives and creating room for all the things that uh, don't require a purchase or don't need to be plugged in. It's about living a more meaningful life with less stuff in your life. If you've never learned about minimalism before, I highly suggest you check out their website at theminimalist.com where you can learn all about what they are teaching. It's an absolute, absolutely incredible way to, to think about your life. These guys have written awesome books. They have an incredible blog. They have a podcast and they just recently came out with a documentary, which we're going to talk about today. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to bring on The Minimalists. Joshua and Ryan, thanks so much for joining me on the Man Talks podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Uh, before we get started, uh, we always like to ask our guests the same question. That is, can you guys share with me a defining moment in your life? Yeah, for sure. This is Joshua, by the way. For me, I'm 35 years old now, but seven years ago when I was 28 and sort of living the American dream, I had the the six-figure salary and, and you know the big house with more toilets than people and all the stuff to fill every corner of my consumer-driven lifestyle. Um, and then these two events happened. So it wasn't just one event, but these two events happening back-to-back. My, my mother died and my marriage ended, both in the same month. And, and these two events forced me to, to start to look around in my life and, and question what had become my life's focus. And, and, and basically what I realized, I was so focused on so-called success and, and achievement and especially on the accumulation of stuff, that I had to make some some significant changes if I wanted to live a, a more meaningful life. This is Ryan. Uh, for me, um, well, my, my whole journey with minimalism started with a packing party where I decided to pack all my belongings as if I were moving, and then I would unpack uh, what I needed day by day for, for 21 days to really get a feel for what was adding value to my life. And the defining moment for me was after that three weeks, you know, I still had 80% of my stuff still sitting in boxes. And that was kind of like my, my light bulb moment. That's where I thought, you know, first off, like, wow, here's all this stuff that I've brought into my life to make me happy. It's not doing its job. And then I thought to myself, wow, like I think other people could relate with this. And that's really where the minimalists.com started was with that 21 day packing party. Awesome. I love that. And, you know, for for those that are out there that don't really understand what minimalism is all about, I'm wondering if you can give, give just a little overview for us. Yeah, I think the short answer is that minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things so we can make room for life's most important things, which actually aren't things at all. And I think that's what we realize. I've got this theory, this theory about material possessions. We call it the tin tin material possessions theory. If you look at the 10 most expensive purchases that you've made over the last decade, 
And then you can compare that with the 10 most meaningful experiences that you've had. Uh, generally, there isn't much of a correlation between those two things. And so for me, minimalism isn't about deprivation. It's not about going to live in a cave or in a cabin somewhere. It's about making better use of the resources we have, shedding the excess so that the things that we do own augment our life, but we don't depend on them the same – we, we don't depend on them for happiness the same way that our culture has, has told us we should. Mm. I love that. For those that have never been to you know, minimalist.com, the great part about it is that it's just all about living a meaningful life with less stuff. And, it's, and even that as a, as a statement is so simple and it, the site is so simple and everything about it is so simple. You know, what to you guys does a meaningful life consist of if, if we don't have these things around us? I mean, for me, you know, living a meaningful life is when my, my short-term actions are aligning with my long-term values and beliefs. And, and Josh and I wrote about this in our first book, uh, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, where we kind of identified these, these five key areas, these five uh, pillars is, is what we call them, where what, what really consists of our values and beliefs. So that uh, it starts with health, and then we talk about relationships. We talk about uh, creation or, or maybe cultivating a passion. And then we talk about growth and contribution, and, you know, if you could imagine those, those five areas that I just listed as uh, like buckets that you could fill with water or sand or whatever, um, you know, my life is, I guess, you know, going as smoothly as the least full bucket, meaning, you know, I could have great relationships and growing and contributing and, and, and creating a, a lot of things. But if I don't have my health, then those other four things don't really uh, make up for that. So that's kind of where, where where I'm focused now, and and, and really kind of you know my formula for for living a meaningful life. And I can imagine that when you don't have all this stuff filling up your life, you're making room for for other things. You know the other important sort of non you know formal formed things. The you know things like great relationships and and great experiences and whatnot. A lot of guys are obviously listening to this show, and this is a very men-focused show. Is, is there something we can do for the men out there in particular when it comes to the things in their lives? And, you know, not everyone, not every man is the same, but guys like stuff. We like, you know, we like to have a car. We like to have a big screen TV, and we like to have our, our lives just full of the new gadgets and things like that. Is there anything in particular we can do to sort of shed some of that? Yeah, I think it's important to realize that, there's nothing wrong with consumption. That, that's not the problem. The, the real problem is compulsory consumption, right? Mm. We all need some stuff. And I think it's important to ask ourselves some important questions. So that's really where I would start. That's going to help us identify the things that are important. And that will change over time. And by the way, it's different for each of us. You know, we can, we can create this monolith and say men uh, like certain things. But the truth is the things that add value to my life may not add value to yours. So the first question I, I would start out with is how might your life be better with less? And by answering that question, it, it gets to the, the heart of the matter. It gets to the why instead of just the how-to. I think we all understand instinctually how to declutter our homes. There's a, a good reason that you'll never see Ryan or me write about, here are the 67 ways to have a decluttered closet. It's because I'm less concerned about the how-to and I'm much more concerned about the why. What are the benefits for you of owning less? Now, for me, at first, it was regaining control of my finances because even though I made really good money in the corporate world, I spent even better money. And so I had massive amounts of debt, 
right? Uh, but then from there, I, once I started simplifying my life, I uncovered all of these other great benefits too. I regained control of my time. I regained control of my health. Yeah, I used to weigh 80 pounds more than I weigh now. Uh, I regained control of my relationships because I reprioritized the people in my life who I really cared about as opposed to just making them lip service priorities. I regained control of my creativity or my craft and I was able to to start focusing on what was important to me. And the reason that's so important is when you no longer feel inspired by just letting go of the stuff, you you have the leverage to to continue down the the path of of living a a, a more deliberate life with fewer things. The next question I would ask, and I think it's an equally important question, is does this add value to my life? So you can look at whatever it may be, a gadget or a can opener, a pair of scissors or a Fabergé egg, whatever you own that, you, that you've been holding on to for whatever reason, and ask yourself, does this add value to my life? And be honest with yourself. And I wish there was a list. I wish I could give you the list of the 1,000 items you should own and then you'll be a happy minimalist. But the truth is that it's going to be different for each of us. The average American household has 300,000 items in it. So even if you got rid of 90% of your possessions, my remaining you know, 20, 30,000 items are going to look different from your remaining 20, 30,000 items. Because by getting rid of the excess, the beautiful paradox is I actually get far more value from the fewer things I own now because they're not watered down by hundreds of thousands of other trinkets. A couple of weeks ago, I, I actually did an exercise where I wrote down everything that I own or everything that is mine, I, let's, let's say. And it's shocking how much we have in our lives. It's, it's quite shocking. I, I, I had no idea that there, that there was this much. Do you, do, you find that, do you find that people have no idea how much they actually own and, and how much uh, they're consuming? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's easy to uh, just, you know, consume, consume every single day, uh, you know, especially if, if people have the means to do it. But yeah, I mean, we are steeped in a culture of consumerism. I mean, we see about 5,000 advertisements a day. It's more than a million a year. And, you know, that's anywhere from the billboards or the newspaper you look at or the magazine, uh, TV shows you watch, um, any, you know, all that stuff, it, it adds up. And every day when we are uh, inundated with that many advertisements, it's very, very easy for us to uh, have these needs created, you know, uh, before like pre-industrial age, advertisements used to actually fulfill a need. It was, oh, you know, here's a product that's actually going to help you, you know, uh, fix your tractor faster or, you know, whatever. Like it was people uh, needs that people actually had. Well, after that, that industrial age to, you know, moving on to the post-industrial age, we are now, uh, you know, marketing is creating the need. We are now steeped in this in this uh, society where we are told if we get that you know car for our significant other and we put a big bow on it out in the driveway that you know that's what's going to uh, bring happiness to the relationship. Or if you can afford this really expensive vacation, you can uh, you know go and be happy. And you know at the end of the day, um, you could uh, uh, have everything you 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 ever wanted like I did when I was 28 years old and still be utterly miserable if we're not, you know, really in touch with, um, A, uh, the things we're bringing into our life and, and not in touch with what our true values and, and beliefs are. I think the bow on the car example was literally a Lexus commercial. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I think it was around last, the last holidays. Um, Joshua, you were talking about your experience in the, in the corporate world. Um, Ryan, I'm curious, what, what sort of a, a career did you have before uh, you guys took on this, this community? 
Yeah, Josh and I know we worked at the same corporation uh, side by side. We we both were climbing the ranks together. Uh, Josh was in charge of retail sales for 150 retail stores, and I was in charge of the uh, small and medium business sales. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I had a very similar situation where I was making you know gobs of money, uh, but spending even better money. Um, I was uh, pacifying myself with with a lot of uh, drugs and, and alcohol, not to mention, uh, you know, consuming uh, goods, uh, going on vacations, just pretty much doing anything I could to make myself, you know, unwind uh, after that, you know, 60, 70, sometimes 80 hour work weeks. And, you know, really at the end of the day, um, you know, for me, you know, Josh, it was, uh, he, he kind of came across minimalism and saw an opportunity to regain control of his his uh, finances, where I looked at it and thought, wow, like minimalism makes a lot of sense. Like, okay, if I don't have this uh, mortgage, you know, this $2,000 a month mortgage hanging over my head, if I don't have this $600 a month car payment hanging over my head, if I can get rid of this debt, I can actually pare down to living off of much, much less than what I'm used to living to now. And and really, I kind of saw this opportunity for me to Pare down my my bills, but really regain my time, and you know maybe go live off of a, a barista salary um, uh, after making enough good decisions. Wow, you know you know, but with both of you guys coming from the corporate world, I'm assuming you had a lot of corporate friends or friends that were not in the minimalist lifestyle, and 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 I'm sh- I'm sure you you still have those friends and, and family today. What's what's the advice for somebody that's looking to live a more minimalist life? Because I'm, I'm assuming you're going to have a lot of questions from friends and family, pushback, just flat out rejection. How would you recommend guys, you know, guys deal with that? Well, the first thing to realize is that we have only 24 hours in a day, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, I was, I think there are three types of relationships. You have your primary relationships. You can usually count those on one hand, the people closest to you, your immediate family, loved ones, kids, etc. Uh, then you have your, your secondary relationships, uh, extended family, people, you, really good friends, people you still care about, and and that circle is going to be a little bit bigger. And then you have that the tertiary layer, those those periphery relationships. Those are people like coworkers or acquaintances, and, and there's nothing wrong with those people. But I was spending 80, 90 percent of my time with that tertiary tier. Uh, of people, you know, people just because they were, those were relationships that were birthed out of convenience or proximity. We lived in the same neighborhood. We worked at the same office building. Uh, we went to the same events together. And so I was spending all my time with networking buddies and executives forsaking the people closest to me mm. just because I, I didn't have any time left at the end of the day. And so I think we need to reprioritize our relationships. I and mean, then we also need to be willing to do two other things. We need to let go of relationships that maybe don't serve us anymore or we don't serve ourselves anymore. We're not able to add value to that relationship. And then more important, we need to bring new relationships into our lives that are powering and supportive. And that's pretty difficult. You know, my, my favorite maxim that we've written about in the past is you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is you may not be able to influence someone that they're going to make a change. You know, I never jumped up and said, look at me, I'm becoming a minimalist and you need to too. 
we're not out <laughs> proselytizing. Right. Instead, I started surrounding myself with people with similar values. In fact, in many cases, we have different beliefs. We, we have different paths to get to those values. I have friends who are atheists and I have friends who are pastors. And, and I think the, the commonality between those particular friends would be they have similar values. They just get there a, a different way. Their belief path is, is slightly different. And so now I surround myself with people who are going to look radically different on a personality Myers-Briggs kind of chart or they're going to look different socioeconomically. But they're going to have similar values. And I think that's the thing to always go back to. That's the compass by which I live my life now. I'll Very tell you cool. too, man, when you call yourselves the minimalists – you find out really quickly who your friends are. <laughs> I mean, totally. I had a lot of people, uh, you know, as soon as they found the website, they're just like, you know, what the heck is going on? What are you doing? You're giving up your awesome career. I remember my mom called me, uh, you know, just like a few weeks after we had uh, launched the website and we had not told anyone about it. So she must have been like Googling my name or something and come across the website. Right. right. But she called me up and she's like, hey, son, uh, what's this minimalist crap? <laughs> oh, Really? Yeah, and I'm really? like, oh, you you found the website, okay? okay. Well, <laughs> well, what do you think? And she's like, I don't know. Are you are you becoming a monk? Are you in a cult? Or? Yeah, are you in a cult? <laughs> are you are you uh, are you depressed? Um, are you not going to come around for holidays anymore? Can I not buy you any more gifts? Yeah. And what do you I, know, call, I kind of what do I call you? I'm like, <laughs> you know, uh, no, mom, I'm not becoming a monk. Um, yes, I am depressed. I, I am very stressed out, and I'm trying to find a new way to approach the way I'm living. Um, I said, but, you know, as far as me coming around for the holidays, you know, I hope to be around more than just the holidays because that's about the only time I saw her. And she only lived like a half hour away. So, you know, I was trying to explain to her like, yes, I'm going to be there for holidays. In fact, I hope to to be around more often and, and build a better relationship with you. Um, but, you know, when it comes to buying me gifts, I was like, yeah, mom, I would appreciate it if you didn't buy me any gifts. You know, she just kind of paused for a second. She's like, well, I'm your mother. And I'm still going to buy you gifts anyway. <laughs> and I was like, huh, well, if that's the case, uh, uh, you know, if it's if you get me something I can't use, or, you know, if it doesn't add value to my life, it do, if it doesn't serve a purpose or bring me joy, I'm probably going to have to find someone else to give it to or or donate it, which is not the thing to say to your mother, by the way. Nope. Nope. Um, she got pretty upset and we kind of went back and forth. But, you know, I got to a point really where I just – you know, kind of uh, stopped uh, telling her that I was going to give her stuff away. Um, and I was just like, Mom, you know, let's just let's just lay this out here. I, I love you so much. You love me too, right? And she's like, yeah, of course I love you. And I'm like, I want you to be happy. Uh, you want me to be happy too, right? She's like, of course, son, I want you to be happy. And I said, well, you know, if that's the case, Mom, um, all I need is for you to support me on this journey. I don't need you to have a packing party. I'm not going to come to your house and judge the things that you have in it. All I need is some support. And that really kind of got through to her heart and really helped her to understand more of where I was coming from and kind of took, you know, this this feeling of her being ju uh, judged away because I think that's probably the biggest problem is other people start to feel judged when you when you live your life differently. But at the end of the day, um, you know, that conversation or, or, or that that statement of, do you want me to be happy? Then all I need is your support. I used that that frame for a lot of other conversations that I had with, with friends and family. And you know what? There were some friends and uh, even some family members who uh, they weren't willing to support me. And um, uh, I will say the family members who were kind of up in the air about it um, have come full circle at this point and, and now are very supportive. But yeah, I did lose a couple friends along the way. But at the end of the day, 
Um, I, I didn't want friends in my life who weren't willing to support me to to uh, help me to be happier. Very cool. You know the reaction that your mother had, where she where she's like, "Are you are you a monk?" And do you guys do you get a lot of people asking, "Is this a Buddhist thing? Is this a religious thing?" <laughs> yeah, man, it, it's so funny. Like Josh and I will be at an event, and someone will come up to us and they'll say, "You know, it is so nice." to see two young Christian boys going around <laughs> spreading the message of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and right. Josh and I just kind of like look at each other like, oh, okay, like glad you feel that way. And then, uh, you know, a couple people later, they'll, they'll come up and they'll say, it's so nice to see two Buddhists going around and spreading the, the, the teachings of, of Buddhism. Um, we got an email a couple months ago uh, from, from someone who said, you know, Muhammad was the, the original minimalist. So, yeah, I mean, we certainly do get asked um, a lot of those questions. Josh and I, we do not have any religious advice for anyone. But what I think is really cool about this whole concept of of minimalism, living deliberately, uh, simplicity, whatever you want to call it, it brings a lot of people together who normally wouldn't uh, get together in, in the same room. Uh, it's it's amazing to see just the the, diver- the diversity that, that we see at our, at our crowds. It's, it's really, really heartwarming. So, so on that point, you, you guys have built this incredible community, you know, not only through your website and blog, through the books, uh, you guys do speaking events, you have a podcast, you have a movie out now, which is amazing. Uh, what's, what's been some, like, give, give me some examples of some, you know, awesome success stories of people that have, that have taken on the minimalist life through, through your guys' teachings. I think what's interesting is many of the people we we meet on the road, they probably wouldn't necessarily call themselves minimalists. Hmm. Like I said earlier, we're not out proselytizing. I'm not trying to convert anyone to minimalism when we go out on the road or when we write an essay or when when we put a documentary out there in the world. Uh, What we want to do is share uh, some nuggets. We want to share a bunch of different recipes. And I think that's why the documentary was, was so powerful for so many people is that it showed people that minimalism is not this radical lifestyle, right? It's a practical lifestyle. And what was so appealing to me early on was that there were all these different flavors of minimalism. There was someone like Leo Babalta who has six kids and lives in the city in San Francisco. He's in the documentary. And he has a whole minimalist family, he and his wife Eva. Or you can look at... Uh, Joshua Becker, who uh, lives in the suburbs with his wife and, and two kids and is a Trump supporter. And I, I, I look at that and I say, wow, that's – but they're still minimalists. <laughs> right. Or you have a guy like Colin Wright who's this entrepreneur and a world traveler and everything he owns fits in his backpack. Or Courtney mm. Carver and her husband and they live in, in Salt Lake City. And, and what I realized is that with all these different recipes for minimalism, what we're really trying to do is get people to tweeze out ingredients that might work for them and create their own recipe for minimalism. Because I knew when I went, started this journey, when I went down this path, that my life wouldn't look like any of the people who initially inspired me, whether it's the Stoics or Henry David Thoreau or just modern day minimalists today living in tiny houses or whatever, like that, many of those things I admire, but I don't want my life to look exactly like any of theirs. So if I want to live a more intentional life, it's about tweezing out those, those recip- the ingredients from those recipes that I admire and creating my own recipe for a more intentional life. Love that. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the uh, – I was just going to say real quick that the craziest story I've heard at one of our events was – I think we were in Edmonton Mall. Is that where it was? In the um, Mall of – I think we were in the Mall of America. Or no, no, no. It wouldn't be the Mall of America. Anyway, it's like the biggest mall in North America. West, West Edmonton Mall. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. And uh, we were there in um, – you know, this guy raises his hand uh, during our Q and A. He's like, "I don't really have a question. I just wanted to say, because of you guys, I had to get rid. of My wife and I, we had to get rid of our bed." And like Josh and I look at each other, we're like, "We never told anyone to get rid of their their bed. Like I have a bed. I would never get rid of my bed. I love my bed." And they're like, "Well, you see, what happened is my my wife and I, our marriage, it was it was falling apart, and uh, we really didn't know how to." How to fix it? But you know, we kind of we came across this idea of minimalism and living simply that we started working on this together, and it saved our marriage. It saved it so much where we started having sex again, and our kids were complaining that we were having sex so loud we had to get rid of our bed. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I'm glad we could help you out that way. <laughs> That's awesome. That, that, that amazing. You, you know, you you brought a question to my my head there. Where if I if I'm somebody who's practicing the you know minimalist life, but my partner isn't someone who's interested in that, is it is it possible to cohabitate? Oh yeah, man. I, I mean, my 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 girlfriend. Uh, it'll be it's three years this month that we've been together. We have lived together for the last two years. She she is not a minimalist. She would not right. call herself a minimalist. She's got. A DVD collection of uh, not a, not a ton of DVDs, like maybe fifty, maybe you know seventy five, something like that. She's got uh, I don't I don't count them. She's got probably oh when we first started dating, she had probably eighty pairs of shoes. Now she's pared down to about twenty pair. And and I have never looked at her and said, "Honey, you need to get rid of your shoes, or you need to get rid of your DVDs, or w- whatever it may be." Really, you know, uh, Mariah is her name. Mariah and I we have very similar values and beliefs and we respect mm. one another we love one another we appreciate one another and and that means even appreciating the the differences that we have and um again like i've never told her to get rid of anything but what has happened is she has seen the benefits of not having to take care of so much crap and through seeing these benefits over the last 3 years she has pared down her shoes she has pared down her dvd collection but at the end of the day, like I never look at her and say, these are how many things that you can have. Um, but, you know, uh, she is still very respectful of the fact that, OK, I don't like clutter. So she, you know, doesn't clutter the house up. But but again, I don't, you know, limit the number of things she can have. And it, it works really, really well. Good, good. Because, you know, I, I, I can see it being uh, something that a lot of guys are worried about, that perhaps that they might not be taking that step because they don't want to be upsetting you know, some someone that's that's living with them, or someone obviously very close uh, in their lives. Um, guys, this has been an amazing conversation, super valuable for our community. Before we go, I wanted to ask you guys some sort of uh, rapid fire questions. Are you are you cool with that? Yes, yeah, go for it. Awesome. And maybe if you, if you can both give me an answer, that'd be great. Cool. What is your favorite part about being a man? My favorite part about being a man, uh, Josh. You first. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, I don't know. I, my favorite part about I've never that that is a very unique question. Um, uh, I, I can tell you that that I love being able to grow facial hair. There you go. <laughs> Women can grow it too, though. Yeah, I I, I can't grow facial hair. I can't, <laughs> right. I can't Josh grow- can't grow much <laughs> facial hair, so he can't use that one. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. 
Yeah. All right, next we'll we'll go to the next question. Right. What's your biggest challenge about being a man? Oh, man, dude. My biggest challenge is like I would say is uh like being a white male <laughs> because mm. you know, it's it's so easy to like stereotype white males and no one says anything about it. And and I and right. I totally get. I understand why. But it's frustrating when, you know, Josh and I are like pouring our hearts out and uh some, you know, like we'll tell these, you know, very honest and true stories and, uh, you know, being very genuine. And then someone's like, well, you know, your opinion doesn't count because you're a white male. And it's like, right. If anything, right. we're trying to break that stereotype, you know? Mm. Yeah. I can tell you that when we, we've brought this message on the road, we, we see people, whether it's a, a factory worker or a CEO that will show up at the same event. And what we found is that this message resonates with people, whether they're rich or poor, white or black, man or woman, our audience is, is comprised of all of these these different segments. And so the, the difficulty that, that I often uh, run into is I need to make sure that I'm seeing the world through, through various lenses, through all of these other people, right? I think it's okay to build our own bubble around us and put people with similar values in that bubble. But I think it's also important to go out there and expand the bubble so that we can uh, so we can see these other points of view. And I think we can't do that if we just stay stuck in a 100% man bubble. Mm, love that. Uh, who is the most influential person of all time? Golly. I mean, I'd have to go with like one of the religious <laughs> figures like Muhammad or Jesus or Buddha, like one of those guys. I mean, yeah. you got... A lot of people you know, give that answer. Who lived you know, 2000 years ago and <laughs> you've got millions of people still following his stories. Yeah. I, right. I think Genghis Khan was, was probably and not in a good way, influential necessarily. <laughs> I mean, but he, he killed upwards of 80 million people. That's that, that changes generations for the rest of the world. And so, yeah, not influential in a good way, but if if we're if we're using it in a broad sense, he he definitely influenced and shaped the way the way this world is today. And apparently, he had sex with a lot of women, and you can still see lineages. Oh yeah, it's like directly percent of uh, the population of Asia. Yeah, yeah, that's it's crazy. unbelievable. Um, what is the most underrated trait for modern day success? Uh, I would say simplicity. I mean, I think we get caught up so easily in like staying busy that we really don't worry what we're busy about and mm. keeping it as simple as possible is, is, uh, I mean, that's how Josh and I have been able to, to, you know, keep doing this for going on six years now. Yeah, I agree. You mentioned like we've done a lot of things, whether it's we've written three books or we have, you know, a podcast or a web a website or we have a documentary or I teach a writing class, Ryan does mentoring but these are all things that we had, to, we had to say no to everything else so we'd have the ability to say yes to this. And so for me, I think, I think the, the most underrated uh, trait would be uh, the willingness to walk away. Mm. I think we have to be willing to walk away from just about anything, even the things that we think are really valuable, because it means we're constantly reassessing that thing to make sure it's still adding value to our lives. Awesome. And what's one thing that everyone should experience at least once in their lives? Letting go of something that you thought you couldn't let go of. Holy shit. Good answer. <laughs> I got nothing. I'm going to go with Josh's <laughs> answer. I mean, I, I, mean, I would actually, – actually, I will say uh, the, the, the most influential experience I've ever had was visiting a third world country. 
And um, you don't have to leave America, by the way, to get to places like that. There are plenty of cities, uh, Indian reservations, or you know, you go to the Appalachian Mountains, like where people are poor. But I would just encourage people to go out of their way to have different experiences with, um, yeah, with places like that, where it really helps them appreciate what they have and realize that, oh wow, like I live in America, and I can go to the convenience store 15 minutes down the the street and, and buy a ham sandwich if I want to. I mean, that's that's a huge privilege and visiting places like that help you appreciate it. Mm, good stuff, guys. If you were stuck on a desert island, what is the one book you would bring with you? I'd bring Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Uh, I would bring, oh, uh, Grammatically Correct <laughs> and Stillman <laughs> because like I, I, I uh, am still learning how to love to write and uh, that book I reference a lot. And I'd bring that book with me because it would allow me to to, to write better <laughs> when I was on the island by myself. Awesome, awesome. And what do you guys want your lasting legacy to be? Oh, man. If there's one message, just one message, man, that we could like just have people really take to heart is it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Hmm. Awesome. And guys, what's what's one thing you're super excited about these days that you want to let everyone in the Mantox community know about? And then what's the best way people can learn more about you, reach out, say hi, uh, and, and keep following you? Yeah, I would love for people to check out our documentary. It's called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. It came out in 400 theaters uh, this summer in the U.S. and Canada and, and a little bit in Australia and the U.K. as well. And now it's finally available online. So you can find that film and all of our essays, our podcasts, our books, and everything else over at theminimalists.com. Awesome. Josh and Ryan for The Minimalist, thank you so much for joining us. And, and guys in the, in the Man Talks community, uh, if you want to listen to more podcasts or read more of our blogs, uh, learn more about our events, you can go to mantalks.com. Uh, please subscribe to this uh, podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you download your podcast and never miss an episode. And of course, please leave us an, uh, a, a review. It, it goes a long way to get the podcast into as many ears as possible. Thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another interview as we build better men through conversation, connection, and community together.